Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is continuous coverage. Continuous coverage. Continuous coverage. In the trial of Lori Vallow Daybill from the Hidden Killers podcast. Hidden Killers podcast. That it is. And let's go to the courtroom right now for segment number one of the trial of Lori Vallow Daybill. Okay, we're going on the record on KCR 22-211624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Vallow. This is the jury trial taking place. We're still in the state's case in chief at this point. Um, states here present, the prosecution, as well as the defense and the defendant. Is the state ready to proceed and call another witness? Yes, Your Honor. All right, is the defense ready to proceed? Yes, Your Honor. Okay, let's go ahead and have our jurors brought in, please, Mr. Bailiff. All right. Thank you, Mr. Bailiff. Please be seated. All right. Good morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started. We're on the record on KCR 22-21-1624, State of Idaho versus Lori Noreen Vallow. The parties are all present and accounted for, as well as the defendant. The court notes also all jurors are present and accounted for, and I believe have all signed their juror affidavit this morning. Is that correct, Mr. Bailiff? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Thank you again for your continuing jury service. The court and parties very much appreciate your continued adherence to the court's admonishment. And at this point, the state is continuing with its case in chief. I believe another witness to be called this morning. Um, who's going to be calling that witness? I will, Your Honor. All right, Mr. Wood, if you'd please announce your next witness, and we can have them sworn. The state calls Keeley Coleman. Firm, the testimony you're about to give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So I hope you got. 
All right, before we get started with testimony, let me just inquire briefly of the witness. Uh, there is an exclusionary rule in effect, so I need to ask, have you reviewed or in any way viewed or read any of the court trial testimony since this case started? Okay, thank you for your response. Uh, for your examination, please talk directly into that microphone so we make sure to pick up your voice on our recording. Please try to avoid speaking at the same time as anyone questioning you and make verbal responses to any questions so we make a clear record. With that in mind, Mr. Wood, you can go ahead and inquire. Thank you. Can you please state your name for the record and spell your last name? My name is Keely Coleman, and my last name is spelled C-O-L-E-M-A-N. Okay. What is your current occupation, and where are you currently employed? I'm a senior DNA analyst at Bodie Technology in Lorton, Virginia. How long have you been employed at Bodie Technology? Just under 11 years. What are your, what are your responsibilities as a DNA analyst? I perform and oversee the testing of biological material that's recovered from items of evidence that are submitted from a variety of cases. I compare DNA profiles that are obtained from those items of evidence and then perform statistics to any probative matches. I then will summarize my findings in a formal report. Can you uh, describe your educational background? Yes, I attended Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I have a degree, um, a Bachelor of Science in Biology with minors in Math and Biochemistry. I also have a Master of Science degree from Duquesne University as well in Forensic Science and Law. Are there specific course requirements for the position you hold? Yes, there are course requirements that are set by the FBI Quality Assurance Standards. What are they? There's four of them. There's biochemistry, genetics, molecular biology, and statistics or population genetics. And have you had coursework in each of these disciplines? Yes, I have. Can you briefly describe any continuing education relevant to the position you now hold? Yes. So every year I'm required to have 12 hours of continuing education. Typically this means that I attend a multi-day in-person conference or I'm attending hour-long webinars or training sessions virtually. Can you describe the training process at Bodhi Technology that you underwent to become a DNA analyst? Yes, so Bodhi has a vast and comprehensive training program that's particular to the role that you will be performing as an analyst. So I was required to learn all of the laboratory procedures as well as the analysis and interpretation of data. So this typically meant reading the standard operating procedures, um, shadowing a qualified individual performing those procedures, and then me myself performing them under supervision. I was also required to process mock cases and then testify to those in a moot court setting. Um, in addition, I attended training lectures, completed written assignments, read forensic um, biology and molecular journal articles, in addition to completing written and verbal assignments. I've been in many different roles as an analyst at Bodhi, so I've gone through that type of training three different times. How many samples have you processed using DNA anal analysis? Um, thousands. Can you describe for the jury what, what is proficiency testing? 
Proficiency testing is where an outside agency will submit a case to us where only they know the answer. So as an analyst, you're required to process this case as if it was a real case to demonstrate that you have mastered the skills needed for DNA testing and are able to obtain the expected result. Does Bodhi participate in proficiency testing? Yes, it does. Uh, how many times have you participated in proficiency testing? 20. Did you perform these tests satisfactorily? Yes, I did. Are you a member of any professional organizations? Yes, I'm an associate member of the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. Have you, have you previously testified as an expert in the field of forensic DNA analysis? Yes, I've testified once as a fact witness and four times as an expert witness. How long has Bodhi been established? Bodhi was established in 1995, and they've been performing DNA typing ever since this date. Uh, by whom is Bodhi Technology accredited? We're accredited by ANAB, and ANAB is an accrediting body that will come in and audit Bodhi to two different sets of standards. One of them is the FBI Quality Assurance Standards, and the other is ISO IEC 17025. Essentially... ISO IEC 17025. You're welcome. Um, this organization will come in and audit Bodhi to those sets of standards. So they're looking at our standard operating procedures, our training, the educational background of our analysts and the technicians who are performing the testing, as well as our reports. So what they're doing is they're looking at the standards, what Bodhi says we're doing to be compliant with the standards, and making sure that that's what we're actually doing in practice. So those are the, the quality assurance measures your lab participates in? Yes. Um, Ms. Coleman, can you briefly describe DNA for the jury? What is it? So DNA is an acronym that stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. This is a biological material that makes each person unique, and it's found in mostly every cell of the body. You get half of your DNA from your mom, and you get half of your DNA from your dad. Is DNA different between people? There's around 99% of DNA that's the same amongst individuals. However, there is about 1% that is unique between individuals, and this is the area in forensic DNA testing that we are looking at. Can you briefly describe the DNA testing process that you use at, at Bodhi, Bodhi Labs? Yes. So evidence items are received, and they are assigned a unique case number, and this is stored in a secure evidence facility. The items that are received are assessed, and either the entire sample or a portion of the sample is taken forward. There are chemicals and reagents that are then added to those samples that are in a small little test tube. Um, what we're trying to do is isolate the DNA from those samples by taking it through a series of heating and spinning steps. So once we've isolated the DNA, we want to determine how much DNA is present in that sample. Once we've done that, we want to make lots and lots of copies of that DNA. It's essentially a biological photocopy. Um, once we have those copies, we put them onto an instrument called a genetic analyzer that separates the DNA based on size into readable components. That is then interpreted by a computer software program and analyzed. Do you use any type of controls during your DNA testing process? 
Yes, there's typically two that we use. The first is a positive control, which is a known DNA profile. The second is a negative control, which essentially is all of the chemicals that you're using in those biological procedures, but it just has no DNA added to it. And how do you know that your controls are working? So for the positive control, you should be obtaining the known DNA profile. For any samples that are processed alongside of that control, that is indicating that the process also worked on your samples. For the negative control, you should obtain no DNA present, which indicates that all of the reagents that were used in that procedure were clean. So any DNA that's obtained from the samples is from the samples themselves, not the reagents that were used in that process. Can you briefly describe what is what are STRs? STR stands for short tandem repeat, and these are certain sections of the DNA where the sequence is repeated. These are the areas that we're looking at testing. So for me, I could have a sequence that's repeated five times. You could have a sequence that's repeated eight times at a certain STR location. And what is an LL or LL? Allele. allele. Um, so an allele is the numerical representation of how many times a short tandem repeat sequence is repeated. So in that example I just gave, we would call that a five allele or an eight allele. Uh, you've used the, the phrase DNA profile. Uh, can you def define that briefly? Yes, a DNA profile is a list of the STR locations that were tested along with any alleles that were obtained from those locations for a particular sample. And what is a partial DNA profile? A partial DNA profile is when you're not obtaining results at all of the STR locations that were tested. This is not unexpected, especially in scenarios where we have a low quantity of DNA or the sample is very degraded. Uh, Ms. Coleman, did Bodhi Technologies receive evidence from their expert police and Idaho State Police Forensic Labs? Yes, it, it did. Was that related to the, the case of the state of Idaho versus Lori Vallow? Yes. Um, can you describe the evidence that was received and when? Yes. Can I refresh my memory with my report? Uh, yeah, would it refresh your memory to be able to review your report? Yes. Your Honor, may the witness be handed her report? Yes, so long as the defense is allowed to inspect it first. Ms. Coleman, before you testify with the notes, I just want to explain that you need to use those just to refresh your recollection. Don't read from the notes if you're answering any questions from Mr. Wood because you need to testify from your uh, personal memory. So uh, if you'll indicate when you are reviewing notes on the record, that will help us keep that straight. Okay. So can, can you describe the evidence that was received and when? In May of 2022, I received three DNA profiles. Um, these were from Lori Vallow-Daybell, Ty Lee Ryan, and Melanie Gibb. I also received several items of evidence, one of which was processed as Bodie EO1, which was a hair attached to a piece of adhesive. 
And do you recall if there was an Idaho State lab number associated with that piece of evidence? Yes, there was, and I'm going to look at the report. Okay. Would that refresh your memory? Yes, it would. And this is 2019-05298. Is that the agency number? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. My question probably wasn't very clear. You mentioned a piece of hair that had been stuck to adhesive. Yes. Was there an evidence number from the agency, submitting agency, assigned to that specific piece of evidence? Yes, there was, and I'm going to look at the report to refresh my memory. That was 11-16-8-B. Thank you. How was this evidence processed? So similar to the process that I described before, a portion of this submitted hair item was taken forward and put into a test tube. It went through a series of washes to get rid of any extraneous DNA that may have been on the hair. We were trying to focus on the hair itself. Then additional reagents and chemicals were added to the sample, and it went through a series of heating and cooling steps to isolate any DNA that may have been present. We determined how much DNA was present in that sample, then made lots and lots of copies, put that on a genetic analyzer, and analyzed the data that was obtained using a computer software program. What results were obtained from your analysis? So from the Bode item E01, which was the hair sample, a partial female profile was obtained. Were you able to make any conclusions based on those results? Yes. Tylee Ryan and Melanie Gibb were excluded as possible contributors of that partial DNA profile. The partial DNA profile matched the DNA profile that was provided for Lori Vallow-Dayville. Okay. Did you perform any statistics for the match? Yes, I did. The probability of randomly selecting an unrelated individual with that partial DNA profile is 1 in 71 billion. Okay. After your interpretation and conclusions were drawn, was your work subject to review? Yes. So as an analyst, when you're putting together your case report, you perform a self-review of your report and all of the laboratory bench notes and supporting documentation for the case file. Additionally, the case undergoes a technical and administrative review to ensure that another qualified analyst agrees with your results and conclusions and findings. Did the individual reviewing your work agree with how you reported the data from this case? Yes, they did. Were all of Bode's protocols and procedures followed during this testing? Yes, they were. Did all of your controls work as expected for this sample? Yes, they did. Based on your experience and training, do you consider these results to be reliable? Yes, I do. Your Honor, I have no further questions at this time. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wood. Who will be conducting cross? I will, Judge. All right. Mr. Thomas, you can cross-examine if you'd like. Good morning, Ms. Coleman. Good morning. How are you today? Very well, thank you. Good. So it looks like you have been educated at Duquesne University? Yes. Bachelor's and master's degree? Yes. Okay. And when did you receive your bachelor's degree? What year? 
That was 2011. What about your master's degree? When did you get that? 2012. Wow, you got to the master's program in just a year? So the program that I entered was a five-year master program. So as an undergraduate, I was taking graduate-level coursework. Okay. So help me understand the five-year program. So the master's program, if you were to take it after your bachelor's degree, it would have taken five years. Is that right? Um, I'm honestly not sure. It depends on the university itself. So the way that the program was set up through Duquesne, was that in my third and fourth year, I was already taking those graduate-level courses. For different universities, you could obtain a bachelor degree and then go back and obtain a master's degree in two years. So it was kind of just smushed into those five years. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Um, you indicated that you had to do some, some uh, proficiency testing. Yes. Uh, is that for employment at Bodie Lab, or is that for... Uh, accreditation or f for some uh, some uh, uh, club or or or, uh, or something else. What what was the proficiency testing for? So the proficiency testing is an accreditation requirement. It's also a requirement by the FBI Quality Assurance Standards, and it's a requirement by Bodie as well. Okay, so Bodie required you to do the proficiency testing, but also to be accredited with some of these. Uh, uh, what, what would you call them? Accreditation academies or what? Um, accreditation standards. Standards, okay. Yes. Um, and Bodie is a, an FBI-approved lab, and so therefore they have to abide by the accreditation standards for FBI. Is that right? Yes. If we want to be accredited, we have to comply with the standards. Okay. So these proficiency tests, um, are any of them blind proficiency tests where you don't know that you're being tested no, they're not. We know that we're being tested. Okay. So they say, hey, look, um, this is going to be a special case. You need to be prepared for it. This is, this is your test. And so you're, you're given that test, right? You're told about it. Yes, we're told up front, yes. Okay. So there's never a point where uh, you're just given a case and you open it up and you go, oh, okay, well, this is kind of unusual, and you go through it. And at the end of it, they go, okay, well, that was a test. You know, you're, you're not ever blindsided by that, right? There are certain agencies that do submit cases to us that are blind. I'm, I would not be aware of them because inherently they're blind. Um, but for the proficiency testing that I do, yes, I'm aware of those. But there are instances where certain agencies, as part of their own quality assurance standards, will submit cases to us where we don't know that it is a proficiency test on their end. But, I mean, if... if you would find out about it if you were proficiency tested and didn't know and uh, failed the test or forgot to do some, some stuff, right? Yes, that's correct. We would find out if we did not pass that accordingly. Okay. And has that happened in, at Bodie? Um, that has happened, I think, in a couple of instances, um, not for me personally. Okay. All right. You testified that you were a fact witness at one point and then you were an analyst on four other cases. Is that right? Yes. 
Tell me a little bit about being a fact witness. What is that? So a fact witness is where um, you perform a certain amount of laboratory procedures that another analyst is not qualified to perform. So in that particular case, I had performed bone sampling and bone extraction. So I was um, testifying to that I did those procedures, while the analyst on that case testified to the data that they obtained. Okay. All right. Um, and... You, as an analyst, you would be testifying as you are today about the specific results in a specific case. Is that right? Yes. Okay. If I could have just a second, Judge. Yes. Judge, we're just figuring out. Uh, I have a, a copy of the report, but mine's highlighted, and we're wondering if that's going to be appropriate to admit as an, as an exhibit or if we should get a clean copy for the court. Oh, okay, we'll just use one of those. We'll just use a clean copy. Okay. <laughs> I'd like to have this marked as, uh, I believe, Defense Exhibit D. Is that where we're at, D? Yes. Can I have that shown to the uh, witness, please? Yes. So is this, can you identify what this is? Uh, this is my case report. Okay. And this is a report that you just went over with the prosecuting attorney? Yes. Okay. Um, and it's your signature is on the second page? Yes. Okay. And on the third page is the... Um, for lack of a better word, the meat of the report? Yes, this is what we would call the allele table. All right. I move for its admission, Judge. Any objection? No objection. All right. Uh, defense Exhibit D is admitted. I'd like to publish it to the jury, if that's okay. Yes, you may. Try the trick of turning it off and turning it back on and see if that works. Okay,
Okay, Ms. Coleman. Um, as I indicated, this was this is kind of the meat of your report, correct? Yes. All right. Um, and so when you talked on direct examination, there were kind of, uh, it seems as though there was kind of a, uh, a, a pre-prepared type of uh, colloquy or, or conversation you had with the prosecuting attorney about DNA and about um, how things are processed and, and those kinds of things. Is, is that kind of standard for you to have um, kind of a, a rote response to um, specific questions about when, when you're testifying? Were you, told, were you told about that by Bodie? That's something that we typically do ahead of time. We have a standard list of predicate questions to go over our own educational background, Bodie's um, standards and accreditation, as well as the background of DNA. And then we also prepare questions that are particular to the case that really are asking what are our results, what are our conclusions, and what are our statistics that we did, as well as did we follow all of our standard operating procedures. All right. And so when you said that part of your statistics say that about 99% of the human DNA uh, is the same, that's that's a true statement, right? Yes. And uh, when you say 99% of our DNA, is that the, the human genome? Is that what we're referring to? Yes, it is. Okay. And how many uh, uh, alleles or how many... Um, Specific, uh, I don't know what I'm like. Like uh, TH01 is one. What 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 would you call that? That would be an STR locus. Okay, so a locus. Mm -hmm. So, and how many locuses are there in the human body? Do you know? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. In forensic testing, we're typically testing between 20 to 24 different loci. Right. But it's in the it's in the billions, right? It could be. I'm not sure of the number off of the top of my head. How many STR locations are in the human body? Okay, but but you've done lots of uh, studying. Obviously, you have a master's degree in this uh, specific area. You've worked for Bodie Lab for uh, a number of years. It looks like uh, eleven years. Is that right? That's correct. All right. So you know that there's uh, the human genome is. Immense. Yes, it is. All right. And so um, would you consider the human genome uh, to be, uh, let, let, like, let's, let's make it akin to like a book, okay? So how many pages in that book would there be uh, if you're looking at 24, if each one of these loci are, are, are a page in that book, um, this book would be huge, right, mm -hmm. for the human genome? The book would be huge if every page was, yes, an STR location for the human genome. Okay. Um, and so you're looking at 24 pages, because on, on this there are 24 specific loci, right? There are 22 STR locations that were tested for this sample. Okay. Uh, and then there's the, the XX and XY, which, which would be either a male or a female. Correct, as well as one YSTR location as well. 
All right. And what's the YSTR location? So the YSTR location is DYS391. It's about a quarter up from the bottom. And this is particular to the Y chromosome. Okay. And so um, when we're looking at this, you're looking at 22 plus the Y, which would be 23, plus the uh, uh, male or female, XLI or XX, mm -hmm. which would be 24, right? Correct. Mm -hmm. And that's what the FBI requires uh, when you're doing testing for them, right? So the FBI requires that there are 20... Um, they call them CODIS core loci. So these, if you want a sample to go into the national database for searching, you have to type 20 of these SGR locations. Um, different laboratories may use different kits um, where they, one lab could test 20, one lab could test 23, one lab could test 24. It's kind of like a um, if you're baking a cake, one may be a Ghirardelli, one may be Duncan Hines. You're, in the end, you're getting a... Um, a DNA profile, but some of the ingredients may be a little bit different. So that's how you can kind of think of those STR locations is you're required to test the 20, but there may be a little bit of difference between the two. So for this case, we were using those 24, like you mentioned. Okay. And which ones do the FBI not require? Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Okay. Because it was my understanding that the FBI required 24, but you're saying they only require 20. Yes. Okay. And you know that for a fact? Yes. Okay. Uh, but you don't know which 20 there are? Uh, there are 20 of whatever is up there. I'm not sure of the ones that are not. Okay. So you're not sure which ones of these are not of the, uh, uh, of the FBI? That's correct. All right. Um, and you said that uh, since 99% of us are, are about the same, there's 1% of us that, that is different. Yes. All right. And how large uh, in the human genome is that 1%? I'm not sure off the top of my head. Okay. So, um, as I said, may, if this were a book and the human genome were the book, and the book would be uh, an, an entire uh DNA profile of John Thomas or of Ms. Coleman, um, this would be more of like the cliff notes of this is what, uh, the, the, what you have here would be more of the, the cliff notes, so to speak, right? Would be like a portion of, uh, what that large book is, is like. Yes, this would be a portion of the DNA profile or the DNA sequence for whoever this individual's human genome. This would be a portion of that. Okay. So of the large portion, of the large book, you're taking a small portion of that book, right? Yes, that's what we're looking at is a small portion. Okay. And in this particular book, the large book, the small portion, you only have less than half of what that large book or of what that small portion is, correct? Yes. There's seven uh, STR locations where we obtained a full profile, and there are three locations that were partial. Okay. And uh, two of those partial profiles um, had exactly the same between Lori Vallow-Daybell, Tylee Ryan, and Melanie Gibb. Is that correct? I'm specifically looking at DS, uh, I'm sorry, D2S411. Yes, that's correct. Those and, three are overlapping. Mm -hmm. And D16S539. Yes. Those are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. All right. 
Uh, and then you have three that have missing alleles, right? So the three that are the missing alleles with the dash, dash, dashes, um, mm -hmm. that's what you had just listed. That's D1, S1, um, 656, D2, S441, and FGA. Um, what that means is that we obtained one allele that was visible, and when you have, you're supposed to have two alleles present, right? You're supposed to have one from your mom and one from your dad. Um, so since this was a profile from one individual, we're only observing one allele because it either doesn't meet a certain threshold or we're seeing that below a certain threshold, so there could be another allele that's present. All right. Uh, so there's a significant amount of alleles that you don't have in this profile. Is that right? Yes, and that is what I was discussing with the partial DNA profile. Um, that's not unexpected when we have samples of low-quantity DNA to obtain locations where you're either not obtaining a result or you're seeing um, potential dropout, which is indicated by the dash, dash, dash at those certain loci. Mm -hmm. But this wouldn't be acceptable to the FBI. This would, I'm honestly not sure if this would be acceptable for upload into a national database for searching. Um, for Bodhi's uh, level of comparison, we are required to have three full loci in order to do any comparisons and statistics. Three loci, that's it? Three loci, yes. Three loci out of the 20 that, that, uh, that you indicate that the FBI requires. You only need three. We need three, yes, to okay. do the comparison. And out of... The 20 that the FBI is required, that is of millions or billions that are in the actual human genome. Is that right? Can you reword that question? So you're only required to have three out of the 20 that the FBI is required. So the requirement for the FBI, the 20 is for what you have to test. I'm not sure what the requirement is for the searching in the national database. Um, if they have a certain requirement for what they need to meet to search in the database, it could be lower to do the comparison. That will vary from lab to lab what their minimum threshold of data to obtain to perform a comparison is. That could be different than what's required to search in the national database, and also it could be different from the minimum amount of loci that you have to just test for the sample. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the jury, there are 18 people sitting here. You would only need three, if each one of those were an allele, you would only need three of those to make a comparison. Is that correct? I would need three complete STR loci. So the alleles are the data that's obtained from the STR loci. I would need three complete STR locations. Okay. And is there a specific uh, uh, location that you would need? Like, like is VWA just as... Uh, as as qualified to be compared as D18S51? Uh, yes, it is. Okay. So they're all the same? Yes. As long as you have three full loci, yes, they're eligible for comparison. Okay. When you say a full loci, you just mean two markers? Two alleles that are present. All right. Alleles are a marker, right? No. A marker is an STR location. Okay. So the marker would be the... TPOX or the VWA, is that what I'm? Yes. So on the left-hand side where it says locus, those are the STR locations, and then under each sample are the alleles that are obtained from those locations. Okay. So when I say marker or loci, those are the same? Yes. Okay. So you would need three markers? Correct. All right. And they would have to have two loci each? 
they would have to have two alleles present at each to do the comparison. Right. Okay. And so you're missing 13 of the 20 that are needed for the FBI. They have no result whatsoever. Is that right? Yes. 13 do not have any result. 13 out of the 20? 13 out of the 20. Or the 22 for this case, yes. 20 that the FBI requires. Yes. That's a lot. That is a lot. All right. So um, when we're looking at the alleles, uh, let's just take a look at the top one, the D three one three or D three S one three five eight. That's a sixteen sixteen. Is that correct? That's correct. And that doesn't mean that there are sixteen possible uh, uh, spots for that, right? I mean, the the sixteen is actually a peak height, not an actual number of of alleles, right? Or a number of uh, uh, positions in the loci. Is that right? So 16 is the numerical representation of how many times the STR sequence is repeated. So for D3, um, the sequence is seen repeated 16 times for that particular location. Okay. But there's not necessarily a, you, you couldn't come up with like a 1-1 one, one or a 1-2. I mean, it, it, you've, is that correct? Um, there are a certain number of times that a sequence will be repeated. So it could be 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Um, there's a range of alleles that are typically obtained for a particular location. So here, in reading this, I would, I would say that the STR location at the D3S1358 locus was repeated 16 times. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is there aren't necessarily 16 different possibilities uh, of different repeats, right? I'm sorry. I'm not understanding what you're asking. Right. It's, it's really confusing. So my understanding of when you're looking at these um, repeats, they're not necessarily like, like D3S1358 is a 16-16, but then if you look over on Melanie Gibbs, it's a 1717. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it's not necessarily 17 different choices. There are just, that's how many repeats there are, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there are not an infinite number of choices that you're going to be able to have on, on any of these particular ones, right? That's correct. Okay. Uh, and so when we look at TH01, uh, we have a 6767969, right? Yes. All right. And so those aren't necessarily uh, encased in. There's there's not like a finite number of repeats that there could be, right? There's not. There is um, studies that have been done that are for a particular STR location where um, they say there's 12 different alleles that are typically obtained. These are the frequency that we see them in the population. Um, sometimes they obtain what's called off-ladder alleles, which are... Um, half repeats that are included, but typically there is a range of alleles that is expected to be seen in the population for those particular samples. But yes, you're correct. There's not an infinite number that could be obtained. Tell me a little bit about imbalanced alleles. 
So imbalanced alleles is commonly seen when we have low quantity of DNA. Um, at a single source profile where I said you are obtaining, um, you have half of your DNA from your mom and half from your dad, that means that at a particular location we can say from D12 um, S391, which is the fourth up from the bottom, where you see those brackets around the 17 and the 22, that means that you're seeing those in different ratios. So you're seeing either the 17 or the 22 at a higher rate than the other. So we're just indicating that we observed them, but they're not balanced. They're, the ratio is different. Mm -hmm. And you didn't find uh, any imbalance in Lori Vallow's uh, DNA at that particular uh, uh, set of alleles, right? No, I did not. Okay. Um, so just to wrap it up here, we had 13 uh, uh, markers that had no result, right? Yes. We had three markers that had missing alleles? Yes. And we had one marker that had that was an imbalanced marker? Yes. Okay. So that's 13 plus 3 plus 1. That's 17, right? Yes. 17 out of the 20 that the FBI requires? That's 17 from this profile that were not obtained. There was okay. seven full loci and three partial loci. Thank you. No further questions. All right. Thank you, Mr. Thomas. I'm, I'm out. All right, Mr. Wood, you can uh, redirect. Thank you. Uh, counsel spoke with you about blind testing. Yes. And when, and that you know when you're being tested. Mm -hmm. Do you follow the same policies and procedures when you're being tested as when you're not being tested? Yes, I do. Okay. Let's talk briefly about um, the results of your test. Uh, counsel kept repeating that I talk, kept talking about the FBI. Mm -hmm. This was good enough for the FBI. Uh, and you spoke about a database. What is that database? That database is CODIS, which is the Combined DNA Index System. Okay. And were you testing this profile against a database or against a known profile? I was testing this against a known profile. In fact, you, you tested it against, did you test it against three known profiles? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, we spoke about partial DNA profiles earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, is it uh, is it common to have to rely on a partial DNA profile? Yes, for evidence items especially that's commonly seen, especially when it is a low quantity of DNA that's obtained. Um, for most hair samples that I see and observe, most of them are partial profiles. Okay. And so let's, just to, to get to these results, how did you receive... Uh, when you received this uh, hair sample, how did you receive it? Um, it was received in a small coin envelope that was sealed with evidence tape. Okay, and uh, I'm going to object. I think this is beyond the scope of cross-examination. I'll overrule that. You can continue, yeah. Mr. Wood. Uh, what did you do with the sample once you got it? So the sample was taken off of the adhesive that it was received on, and then a portion was cut and put into a test tube. Okay, so it was it was... Um, it was on an adhesive? Yes. Okay. And then you put it into a test tube. Uh, what did you do next? 
The next step is that the um, sample went through a series of washes. And so those series of washes are to wash away any foreign or touch DNA that may have been present on the hair in order to isolate the DNA that was from the hair sample itself. Your Honor, again, I'm going to object. I think this is just rehashing his direct examination, which I didn't get into this washing part. Your Honor, he's gone after the results. I'm totally entitled to get her to her results. It's uh, not outside the scope of redirect at this point, so the objection's overruled. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, you mentioned foreign material. Was there anything that needed to be cleansed off that sample? It had been indicated that the um, hair was found on duct tape that was um, in the presence of decompositional fluid. So in those particular scenarios, that is uh, standard where we will wash any hairs of any foreign material that may have been present. Okay. And and once you, get, you took care of that, what did you do next? The next step was that the sample went through a series of heating and spinning steps went with reagents and chemicals that were added to it in order to isolate the DNA that may have been present in that hair sample. Okay. And, and is that the process you spoke with us about earlier um, in order to, gener to generate your DNA profile? Yes, that is the standard extraction protocol where you're going through those series of steps to isolate DNA that may be present. Okay. Now, again, counsel spoke with you about um, what's needed for the FBI. Uh, and to clarify, what's needed for the FBI is to get into a database, correct? Yes. So the FBI um, has the CODIS um, combined DNA index system. So in order for a profile to be suitable, you have to at least test those 20 different locations. Um, if they are doing comparisons to known profiles, that may be um, less data that's required in order to do that. There's a difference between what needs to be tested to go into the database, the eligibility of data obtained from the sample to be in the database, as well as um, a minimum threshold for what you can do for comparisons of data. Okay. So just to clarify what you just said, it's, it's different. It's a different standard to get a DNA profile into the FBA database than it is to match a profile to a known profile, correct? Yes. Okay. And here you were, am I correct that you were matching a profile to a known profile? Yes, that is what was done here. Okay. So you didn't need to have that same threshold as getting the profile you were testing into the FBI database? Correct. And is this common in uh, the scientific community? to do the type of testing you were doing? Yes. And is it common to rely on a partial profile? Yes, it is. Uh, in fact, uh, that happens quite regularly, doesn't it? Yes. From evidence items, we um, see partial DNA profiles and perform comparisons to them. Okay. And so let's get back to these results. Uh, you you stated you had seven full and three partial um Loci? Loci? Loci. Mm -hmm. uh, and from that, you were able to, uh, the loci you located matched Lori Vallow's known profile. Yes, they did. Okay. And you were able to run a statistical analysis on how likely uh, 
your testing profile would have been to have come from someone else? So the statistical analysis that I did was a probability for um, the probability of how I would randomly select this DNA profile to be seen in the population. Okay. And can you remind the jury what that statistic was? It was 1 in 71 billion. Do you know what the population of the United States is? I think it's around... I object to this. I believe this is misleading. Well, uh, there's no foundation for that at this point, so I'll sustain it. Okay. Um, but again, the, your your statistic your statistics were one in seventy one billion. Yes. And can you just again just and just briefly so that we're all clear, what exactly does that statistic mean? So that means that if I were to see this. Um, I would stick my hand into a hat of DNA profiles. I would expect to see this profile one in 71 billion times. Okay. No further questions. All right. Thank you, Mr. Wood. Any recross? No, no follow-up. Okay. That will conclude your testimony then. Thank you for appearing this morning. Thank you. Can this witness be released from any subpoena and excused? Yes, Your Honor. No objection. All right. That will conclude your testimony then. The bailiff will help assist you down. The witness has exited. The state can call its next witness. Judge, can we have a brief recess? I'm gonna. Shoot. I was just handed uh, a fairly large PowerPoint exhibit that I need to go over with counsel to make sure that we're not going to object to it. Okay. It's a little early for the regular morning break, but given that, I think it would be efficient for you to look at that, having the jurors just sit here. So we'll go ahead and take a mid-morning break at this time. That wraps up segment number one. There's much more to come. Press subscribe so you don't miss any of our continuous coverage in the trial of Lori Vallow-Daybell. Stay with us. This is continuous coverage. Continuous coverage. Continuous coverage. In the trial of Lori Vallow-Daybell. From the Hidden Killers podcast. Hidden Killers podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. 
But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 